Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Where, oh, where is dear little Susie? Where, oh, where is dear little Susie? Where, oh, where is dear little Susie? Way down yonder in the pop-pop patch. Come on, boys, let's go find her. Come on, boys, let's go find her. Come on, boys, let's go find her. Way down yonder in the pop-pop patch. Picking up pop-paws, put them in your pocket. Picking up pop-paws, put them in your pocket. Picking up pop-paws, put them in your pocket. Way down yonder in the pop-pop patch. Episode 46, The Pawpaw of Pawpaws, with Neil Peterson. Neil is a plant geneticist and breeder who has, for over 40 years, focused on breeding pawpaws. Now, if you don't know what pawpaws are, they're a delicious fruit native to North America. They're actually the largest edible fruit native to North America, and they're a tropical treat. All of their other relatives are from the tropics. Fruits like soursop and cherimoya, custard apples. And it tastes magnificent. And you can find it out in the woods. We're just coming into pawpaw season. Down in the south, and the pawpaw range extends all the way down to states like Florida and Alabama, Louisiana, they're just starting to ripen. And while we have a few weeks to a month to wait for ripe fruits up here in New York, to where it's also native, now is a perfect time to get your pawpaw picking plans in order. Now they grow wild, but Neil has been at the forefront of breeding pawpaws that are larger, with better flavor, and less seeds, and also more productive. In this episode... We speak with Neil about how he first fell in love with pawpaws, how he found the last remnants of the early 20th century pawpaw collections that have almost disappeared, about how he actually did this and grew 1,500 seedlings and picked just seven superior selections. He talks about how he selected these, like what he looks for, And he gives some really crucial pointers to people who are interested in plant breeding. We had a really great conversation, and it was an honor to speak with Neil. As usual, you can help support the podcast by liking us and reviewing us on iTunes, sharing these episodes with your friends and in your networks, and also supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash plantcunning. I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, so we're very excited to welcome Neil Peterson to the Plant Cunning Podcast. For those of you who don't know, Neil is a plant geneticist and breeder, and he's released the amazing line of Peterson pawpaws, which he's named after rivers in eastern North America. So, Neil, how are you today? Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good. I uh, met with my old friend, John Popino, um, this afternoon, and he was one of my cooperators in evaluating pawpaws in my uh, second orchard. He have a real plant horticulturist with a lot of uh, plant background. Mm, so I'm cool. doing good. That's amazing. So Neil, 
we generally like to ask our first time guests um, what got them onto the plant path. So you, I know you studied plant uh, genetics in, in college and uh, as a master's degree. Um, but so what, what got you interested in plants in the first place? Uh, well, that goes back to uh, many years before college. Um, I, uh, you know, maybe it's in the genetics because my great aunt was quite a wonderful flower gardener. And my mother, I picked up some of this from my mother. Now we're talking flower gardening, but you know, that's love of plants. And uh, when I reached my junior high years, um, now I was growing up on the edges of a town, St. Albans, West Virginia. And it was probably, oh, not even a mile from where I lived uh, out to the woods and the forest, where it's just like, you know, nobody living. No signs that said no trespassing. And I just found a great deal of uh, comfort being out there in the woods, you know, in the good times of the year, right? You know, I yeah. uh, started learning the wildflowers, of course, uh, love to learn birds, ferns, uh, et cetera. Um, and then I started bringing home, I'd find uh, <clears throat> some of the, you know, wonderful native wildflowers like Bloodroot and trillium. Um, <clears throat> um, oh, there's so many. Um, I'm blanking on them right now. Even violets, you know. So I just dig them up. I didn't ask any questions. I was on somebody's property, but uh, it just the woods went on for miles, and I just would dig them up and bring them home. And that started, you know, my interest. And then uh, getting books as birthday gifts and such about the wild plants of the Appalachians. Amazing. So I was kind of self, self-taught there, you know, about the wild flora. Yeah. And you had <clears> the <throat> we had- natural instinct. You had the natural instinct of cultivation of rather than picking a flower, like a lot of children will, will do you dug them up and replanted them in your garden. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I did that. And, and we had now the woods behind our house was quite small, but that's where I put everything. And, I, uh, we had one or two pawpaws growing in that woods. I had no inkling at that time that it had an edible fruit. And I'm not even sure, probably that tree never bore any fruit, which is not uncommon in the wild. It was years later when I encountered, you know, fruiting pawpaws and, uh, and really got into it. So what was the culture like around where you grew up uh, in relation to pawpaws? Is it, was it something that people ate uh, or was it something they ignored? Mm. Well, now, <clears throat> St. Albans was uh, a bedroom community for a number of the chemical plants in the Kanawha Valley. <clears throat> That's uh, the, uh, where the state capital is. So it's actually rather urban setting. Uh, a lot of people moved in to uh, as for employment from other places it was not rural west virginia <clears throat> that's kind of a, a long answer to say nobody around me said anything about pawpaws although in the third grade you know we one of the things the teacher does in third grade is you know class classes uh, do sing along and so we learned the pawpaw song uh that gave me an inkling, I guess, that, well, I guess there was uh, some sort of a fruit associated with pawpaw. But no, no one said anything to me 
growing up about, oh, pawpaw has a fruit and it's edible. That came probably, you know, when I was at West Virginia University in my uh, master's program. So I picked you... up that knowledge. <clears throat> I picked up that knowledge of the fruit from the Yul Gibbons book, Walking mm. the Wild Asparagus. Yeah, what a classic book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you ever tasted a pawpaw fruit? Well, oh, uh, well, now, as you know, <laughs> that's pretty unforgettable for any of us <laughs> when we had our first pawpaw. And uh, <clears throat> I was, uh, this would have been my first year in the master's program. I was a uh, student assistant. So I had a <clears throat> responsibility for uh, a class. Uh, it was the laboratory section of the class studying population. Uh, it was population studies, small mammals. Well, we did that work. Anyone who's been to, uh, lived at West Virginia University probably knows there's the core arboretum. Uh, it goes from the hilltop near the stadium all the way down to the river, the Monongahela River. And that's where the class would we do our uh, studies on small mammals. Uh, well, I noticed right away that it was September, right? Uh, the, the early in the semester, end of September, and there were the pawpaw trees. And I don't know, maybe I smelled the fruit, but I was definitely interested. Said to myself, well, I'm going to have to come back here, you know, on a non-classroom day uh, and and see what's going on over there with that little pawpaw grove. This was very close to the river, which is, of course, a uh, a wonderful, this is where you frequently find uh, pawpaw patches growing. So I came back on a Saturday and I walked down the hill to the floodplain over to the trees and it's all, it's September, the leaves really haven't started to fall, but there in the leaves underneath the pawpaw trees were some fruit. It's like, well, you know, and you could smell it. Before, sometimes you can smell it before you even see it. They're not all that visible when they're hanging in the tree because the skin is green. It's not turning orange or red, you know, it's not an apple-like fruit. And uh, so I picked it up, you know, and it's a, Naturally, for those of you who've eaten pawpaw, <clears throat> you know it's soft. You know it's kind of surprises you. Hey, it's not an apple, which is hard and usually crisp. This is this is soft. So I just kind of tore it open, and and pushed it the the flesh into my mouth, and I was like, oh my god, it's almost indescribable. Mm. I mean, right away I just was saying, oh, what is this doing out here in the woods? You know, why isn't this in the store? This is as good as any you know, peach or apple or, or mango, you know, this is almost as good as any of those. And yeah. here it is just kind of stuck back in the shadows of the forest. And because I was enrolled in a plant genetics uh, program uh, and had been interested in genetics before I started my master's, you know, I just made a mental leap, you know, it's like, oh, you know, the apples we eat today were originally not much more than like a crab apple, you know, and oranges were little and peaches were little and didn't have all that much flesh around the pit. Um, and here we have a fruit. Now it has, unlike a peach, which has only one pit, this may have six, eight or more seeds and they're big. They're like beans, black, not black really, just a deep brown, shiny 
bean-like seed scattered through the flesh. And it's like, and I thought, well, you know, that's, if it were in the grocery store, the consumer would object to that many seeds. But here in the woods, I was just, just immediately, my imagination was running. You know, it's like this thing has such potential. All the, all the foods we, um, we cultivate and eat, they started as wild plants. Yeah. You know, what, what we see in the garden is the result of thousands of years of human selection of the best. And, uh, and so here we have a wild plant, the pawpaw, a semina trilopa, it's its Latin name, and it hasn't yet been subjected to, to our knowledge, you know, to any real selection and breeding. And uh, so I thought, you know, well, this is the beginning. And I already started to imagine that maybe there was something I could do with this fruit. Yeah. So the papa got you under its spell way back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So did you know in that moment of eating it and thinking about cultivating it that you would end up divide, like basically devoting your life to papa? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of. I saw it as that this is worth doing. I, yeah. You know, I probably like m- many of us, we, we want to do something worthwhile with our lives. I said, yeah. this is worth doing. Yeah. yeah. So do you have any insights as to why the pawpaw hasn't been so popular? Like blueberry or pecan or these other mm-hmm. cranberry? Even? Yeah. You know, these American, these American species that have made it into agriculture. And there aren't many. Uh, this, um, North America was not a center of, of uh, ancient agriculture, unlike Central America or South America. You know, you, these different spots across the globe where agriculture developed. Um, <clears throat> so there are, it's, it's some of the obvious drawbacks to pawpaw. From a commercial standpoint, um, I say I say that because there are many aspects where it's no drawback at all. Because the fruit is one, we know it's delicious and it's nutri- nutritious, so that's great. And the tree has very few pests. And you're not faced with the problems, say, of an apple tree in commercial cultivation. But the drawbacks are well. Right away, I already mentioned the seediness of the fruit. This this can be a drawback. Uh, another thing is that uh, we've had the uh, wonderful experiences of that our first taste of a pawpaw was a wonderful experience. We lucked into really good trees, but that's not always the case because <clears throat> I've tasted over the years so many pawpaws in my breeding work, and there are ones that <clears throat> may be bitter. And if they're not initially bitter, it's the aftertaste is bitter. Uh, they may not be all that flavorful. The texture may be kind of objectionable. It may not be that smooth custard-like flesh that we'd like, because I've had ones that were gritty or rubbery or slimy. And none of those type of descriptions are nearly as good as the custard-type flesh. <laughs> yes. Um, True. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. So, so 
so see, these are some aspects, but those are in the wild ones. These are some aspects that are drawbacks. And another drawback, and I've never found an exception to this, is how rapidly <clears throat> the fruit ripens. Ah, Once yeah. it starts to ripen, it's, it's, you know, at room temperature, it may be good for about three days. And now it's, and then it's overripe. And uh, <clears throat> now I can refrigerate a ripe fruit and hold it in good condition for about a week. And if it's underripe, but that does not mean hard. That means ripening, just beginning to ripen on the tree where I can pick it. That will finish ripening, and it may take a week to finish ripening. I can hold that for, um, if I refrigerate it right away, I can hold that for about three weeks max. After, after that, you bring, you, know, you bring it out of refrigeration, you let it sit on the counter until it finally ripens. But something happens biochemically with the fruit, you know, just in cold storage for about three weeks, and then it won't get proper flavor after that. So these, <clears throat> for people who are in the, uh, <clears throat> the grocer business, you know, food distribution, uh, just uh, shipping produce all around the country, well, these traits of the pawpaw do not suit the commercial distribution model of produce. Yeah, it makes a lot of so sense. These are the, yeah, so these are reasons why we would not, you know, be able to walk into a grocery store, typically, you know, and find pawpaws among the mangoes and bananas. Yeah, and and the blueberries can last a, a long time in refrigeration, and pecans, yeah. obviously, you know, they're you dry them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much but, a non-issue with pecans; they still last a long time. Yeah. So what is what is the perfect pawpaw by your estimation? What does hmm. it taste like? What is hmm. it? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm 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 hemming and hawing because different that that question has been posed before, and there's uh, a lot of vari- variation in the answers from different people. Yeah, for um, I'm I'm thinking back to a. A little workshop I gave years ago at the Ohio Pawpaw Festival, and it was I called it pawpaw evaluation. So I had you know maybe ten people in the in the workshop, and I had a whole bu- I had bunches of pawpaws of different varieties, named varieties, and then we had sheets to you know to make our evaluations. <clears throat> and uh, you know what was the most the thing that surprised most people by the end of the workshop as we compared our results is that different people rated the different varieties differently. Hmm. It wasn't like the workshop concluded, oh, we think Shenandoah is the best, you know, or Jerry Lehman's Big Girl is the best. One person liked a certain variety the most, another person liked a different one, and so on, which in many ways is like talking about a favorite apple. Yeah, there isn't a universally favored apple, which is a good thing, right? But some yeah. people have, you know, each palate is different, mm-hmm. and people have different preferences. So now, what do I like? How now? That's that's a little bit of a lecture there, isn't it? Um, <laughs> what do I like? Uh, I want the fruit to be at least medium size. Um, large fruit are impressive. But you have to have a family. <laughs> Some people might be able to eat a large fruit all in one sitting. 
uh, for a single sitting serving, uh, I kind of like a medium sized pawpaw, which is what'll just nestle comfortably in the palm of your hand. And it shouldn't have very many seeds in it. I want to be able to, when I take the knife through the pawpaw, that regardless of where I start and stop, I will probably miss the seeds. So we're talking about now, that is no, not characteristic of a wild pawpaw. Uh, this may be a pawpaw that has as few as you know 5% seeds by weight. <clears throat> so I like that. And of course, the flavor has to be top-notch. And it has to have that wonderful aroma, sort of a, a perfume that's both floral and, and somewhat fruity. Yeah. It's hard to de- describe. But it's quite pronounced, isn't it? The the aroma of a pawpaw, and uh, so it has to have that, and then it should be very sweet. It should you know it should be this sort of flavor burst, and it's unusual among fruit. I mean, it doesn't to me compare like to peaches or apples or bananas. That as I eat the pawpaw, there's this initial flavor I get, and then as I savor it in my mouth and, you know, moving it to the back to swallow, the flavor keeps changing. And then I swallow and there's this very long finish and aftertaste to the pawpaw. Uh, So it's kind of like almost like wine, I guess, you know, not that I'm a wine drinker, but I know much about it. But, you know, you kind of have an initial taste. Then you have a medium taste, a late taste, and a finish. Um, <clears throat> the, fi- the final thing about the pawpaw after you've had that, you know, done that savoring, is there's kind of a little bit of a euphoria that develops, and and mm. that's nice. Yeah, mm. yeah. Is that is that because it just tastes so good, or is there some chemical or constituent in it that you think leads well, to? Well, I I think there's I think there's some sort of chemical, but that takes <laughs> that takes a chemist yeah. to sort that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's, a, it's just sort of a sugar rush, hmm. you know, from the sweetness of the pawpaw. And so, is that your favorite way of eating a pawpaw? Just slicing it and eating it fresh, or do you ever do anything yeah. else like smoothies? No, I. Recipes? Um, I like it fresh. Mm-hmm. I know you know smoothies are a great thing to do. Uh, pawpaw ice cream is great, but I just, I guess I like the simplicity. It doesn't lend itself uh, the way that many fruits do to cooking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I like it fresh. Um, and that's, that's not a negative that it doesn't have many cooking applications. Uh, we, we probably love cantaloupe and watermelon and they yeah. don't have baking applications. Mm-hmm. We just eat them fresh. Yeah, and I've I've heard of some people like getting sick from eating uh, like too much too cooked pawpaw. Um, yeah. And what about the uh, the downsides to pawpaws? Like I, I've heard that there people can be have allergies to it, or there's like acetogens in it potentially. What is your opinion on well, that? Well, yeah, <clears throat> well there are food allergies. Um, right. And um, yeah, that's you know that that. That's something when I think starting any new food, you know, you're unfamiliar with, you, you just uh, have to be cautious. And, and it tends not, 
pawpaws when you like them, you tend not to be cautious. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of different stories. I mean, I had one friend who who's from Atlanta, and he took pawpaws down to because we were close friends. He took pawpaws uh, to to his family, you know, for on a visit, and they were having a family dinner with uncles and cousins and. Some people liked them and some people didn't. But one uncle was just running around the table and says, you don't like your pawpaw? You give that to me. I'll take yours. I'll take yours. <laughs> yeah. That reminds yeah. me of one of my, my first foraging uh, trips at my granddad's farm. He has a hill full of pawpaws. And uh, I just gorged myself <laughs> on, <laughs> on them. Just like, like probably 10. Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're overdoing it. You yeah, get the so, runs from that. Yeah. So what is like the uh, the average dose of a pawpaw? Like how many would you say is overdoing it? Well, personally, I, I think one a day is plenty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if we can make up a story that, you know, a pawpaw a day keeps the doctor away. But um, um, I mean, what fruits do we gorge on? <laughs> I guess that's personal too. Yeah. Um, I love fruit, but I typically, you know, I have raspberries in the morning. I might have a half of a banana, you know, a day, uh, some apple slices in the course of the day. Uh, this is melon season. So I might have a slice of melon, but I don't eat the whole melon, you know, in a day. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just think, you know, when you're new to pawpaws, uh, moderation, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. until you learn your, your, if you have any sensitivities. Yeah. I think that's, that's good advice for, you know, anything new you're adding like mushrooms or, you know, mm -hmm. other fruits. Yeah. And I guess that, I mean, um, with pawpaw, it's like a seasonal fruit because you can't really preserve right. it. Very yeah. Well. You can and freeze jam it. Or, yeah. You, yeah. So right. I guess the only way to preserve right. it would be to freeze it. And then you would be thawing yeah. it for smoothies or something in the winter, but it does have yeah, a season. Exactly. And that's it also does have a season. That's mm -hmm. why the acetogen, you know, thing isn't really as much of an issue as some people like to, to uh, yeah. <laughs> say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, that, that has just still requires more research. Mm -hmm. uh, the acetogenins are, are present yeah. in pawpaw. There, it's a class of chemicals that's present in the entire custard apple family. Um, and some people will have more of a sensitivity to them than others. The, uh, they are a very active biochemical. Uh, they are toxic to ins to many, probably most insects. Um, and the, uh, they're present particularly in the bark and the seeds, uh, and the leaves. They're, they're present at low quantity, low levels in the fruit pulp. Um, so once again, you know, some some caution when you're new to pawpaws and you're learning if you have sensitivity. Um, the the uh, there's um, rat studies that have been done uh, because of the bioactivity of the uh, of the acetogenins to see what the effect may be on rat brains. And uh, when they they they're doing this by intravenous dosing, I think, on the rats. At any rate, they, they were able to show that it caused uh, it caused damage 
in brain function. Um, but the human studies haven't been done. I mean, I just think along the, this line is that, you know, we don't observe that the Native Americans eating pawpaw, uh, you know, were experiencing damage, or the frontier settlers uh, and rural people who still eat pawpaw. You know, we don't have anecdotal stories of people suffering from it. And since it is seasonal, you know, you're only that uh, one, you know, four or five weeks of the year when they're available. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's just uh, use caution. We do know because there have been so many cases of people, uh, am, uh, you know, just uh, families in the kitchen saying this would make such good leather fruit leather we'll make pawpaw leather and they're really you know really ecstatic with what it turns out you know i mean it's I guess it's a wonder physically it's a wonderful item and they eat it and they say oh god that tastes great and then about 30 minutes later they're throwing up uh i think i've only heard of one instance where the person made pawpaw leather and they didn't get sick from it <laughs> so so this is like something you don't do, even right, though it right. looks like a, a no-brainer. You just, you know, it's a no-brainer. Just uh, smear that that nice custard pulp onto a sheet, you know, and let it dry. Uh, no. <laughs> the fortunate thing is, you know, actually, that the throwing up is the body's way of protecting itself. Yeah. So whatever, so whatever is happening, you know, is. Uh, I guess the body is protecting itself by throwing up. Yeah. But you won't repeat, you know, you won't repeat it after that. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a, that's a great thing to know. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And, and so going back to, you know, st starting on this journey of, of pawpaw life, um, mm -hmm. how did you actually start selecting varieties? How did you, how did you get into the work of, yeah. of it? Right, right. I mean, sure, you're asking, you know, how did you go from eating your first pawpaw to all this, you know, uh, getting in so deep as to have two orchards and over a thousand trees? Um, yeah, right. It was, it, yes, it was, of course, it took a little time and it took um, me persuading myself. I went to the library, I said, you know, so I'd eaten that pawpaw and I'm sure that probably within a week or so, I was in the library. Uh, I was trying to apply what my professors were trying to beat into our, our heads as students was don't reinvent the wheel. You know, but when you start your research, find out what's already been done. That's, that's the starting point. So the library is your starting point with research. And um, I, you know, was, this was back with card catalogs. This was before computers. <laughs> it's so different now and easier. Um, I loved card I, catalogs. I remember the days and yeah. I loved them. My Capricorn brain <laughs> yes. was just like, yes, alphabetical yes. order. We got this. Yes, yes, yes. And um, so I'm, because I had already been studying West Virginia flora and had quite a few books on Appalachian flora and trees and all, you know, it's all there in the in the those books. Pawpaw's another one of the native species, 
And in essence, in the library, I thought, now this is all I'm going to find. I'm just going to find it listed in books of native flora, which isn't going to help me at all as I'm interested in what's been done uh, with specifically with the fruit. Uh, and this was when I made a discovery. It was that in 1916, the American Genetics Association uh, sponsored a contest for the best pawpaws. And they offered a prize, I think, which was it was $100. That's right. And people have kind of calculated what that would be in current dollars. In current dollars, that would be about the equivalent of $2,000. Nice. So they were offering, yeah, nice prize, huh? They were offering $100 for the best pawpaw. And it was carried, that was carried in the journal uh, of heredity. And, uh, of course, if you didn't subscribe to the journal or your library didn't, you might not know about the contest. But they had over 70 entries sent into them, mostly from the Midwest. Uh, and the, the headquarters was Washington, D.C. And uh, so they wrote up the experience the next year, you know, to report on it. It was a terrific article. And there were already at that time in 1916 named varieties of pawpaws, uh, mostly in, in the Midwest. Uh, Benjamin Buckman lived in uh, near Springfield, Illinois, and he was a terrific horticulturist. And, and with, in his correspondence, he was able to accumulate these different uh, clones, these different varieties. Uh, it's all done by grafting. Uh, so you don't do seed uh, germination to perpetuate a fruit clone. Uh, whether it be peaches or apples or avocados. Um, so this just took hold. Now my imagination was really captured because it's like work has already been done. If if I get into this, I will not be starting from wild stuff. I'll be starting from material that's been collected early in the 20th century. And, uh, and you know, that was to me was very exciting. So I I guess that was year would have been about 1976, roughly 1976. And so I spent a number of years doing more library research, traveling around the East, trying to track down these individuals like Benjamin Buckman or, <clears throat> or George Zimmerman um, and um, Hershey, John Hershey in Pennsylvania, see if any of these collections survived. Now, see, we're approaching about 1978, and how many years since 1916 is that? Well, that's about 70 years, uh, almost. Is, is my math right? 60 years. It's like, and the reality is, you know, these, these people who had done the work, uh, they had died many, many years before. And it was, you know, it's naturally... Uh, very dicey and very uncertain that I'd be able to find anything. Um, it was fun to do, and it was also disappointing because when I would get to, say, Benjamin Buckman's property, uh, I was able to find it with the help of the extension, ag extension agent. But that's a portion of Illinois that's, you know, corn and soybean country. And there stood a house with a very tiny, uh, woodlot behind the house and everything else was corn and soybeans oh and there no was, there were there were a few pawpaw trees in the woodlot but they were 
seedlings. And, you know, you have to, I had to admit to myself, the varieties that are being talked about in the literature, those were grafted. How long will a graft live on its rootstock? When the top dies, the graft is gone, the variety is gone, and all you have are root suckers coming up from that rootstock, which isn't the variety at all. Um, so I didn't find anything of value in Illinois. At Zimmerman's place in Pennsylvania, there were plenty of pawpaw trees. That's not, he was living now in hill country. <laughs> so we weren't dealing, and there, unfortunately it hadn't been converted to subdivisions either. But while I found uh, some rows, what looked like rows of pawpaw trees, once again, uh, I didn't see any fruit. There was fruit, but I didn't see any of quality. And I thought once again, though he had about 60 named varieties, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Zimmerman had, uh, now what was growing there was all rootstock. Uh, I kept exploring, I kept exploring the literature and trying to track things down. I hit Pater with a property, which is the Blandy Experimental Farm near Winchester, Virginia. Nice. That's and, yeah. And you may have already, I don't, you know, in tracking me down, you might have read about this already. Um, it was a, an experimental farm uh, that was um, set up by Mr. Blandy in his will. And I think that dates to 1926. That's before the stock market crash in 1926. And he left something like 400 acres plus an endowment to support it. And there were buildings there. And I'm coming along now. And it's about 1980, probably 1979. And fortunately, they had in the backwoods a collection of trees. Now, it wasn't what I would call ideal in the sense that, you know, they were in wonderful soil. It was an oak forest, not your typical pawpaw woods. Uh, but they had not been messed with. When I arrived and talked to the the uh, director of the farm, at that point, they were down to a staff of two. And now we're about 1979, right? And inflation had eaten up that endowment that Mr. Blandy had provided. Mm. So it wasn't, it was no longer a very active organization. Uh, first, they directed me to the five trees that were growing near the main headquarters. Uh, um, the fruit was kind of interesting, but nothing special. And I, I said, but there must be more fruit here, more trees here, because of this article I read about the uh, Blandy Farm receiving material from uh, Dr. Zimmerman. Not only that, Orland White, who was the initial director for about three decades, uh, he had a you know, wide-ranging horticultural interest, and that included pawpaws. And uh, their, their uh, little accession uh, index file said that they did. Um, you know, and, and the director, I wish I remembered his name. Um, well, I don't need to badmouth him, except that his heart wasn't in his job. Um, he just kind of in an offhand way said, well, yeah, there may be more pawpaws, you know, in the backwoods. You know, just follow the road there into the backwoods. You, you might find them. And uh, there they were. I waded through the poison ivy and through the young suckers that were about 
hip high. And uh, as I got back further and further from the road, I started encountering trees, you know, with uh, with a nice girth. They were obviously old trees, you know. They were uh, almost big around as as uh, my calf, and you know, they were twenty and thirty feet tall. And typical of pawpaws growing in a the woods, they don't. They're pretty lanky. They don't have tightly spaced branches, which is what you have when you grow them in the sun. Um, but they were all, they were in rows. I could pick that out. First, there was one row of these big trees, pretty evenly spaced. Then I walked another 20 feet deeper into the woods, and there was a second parallel row. And that's where I found good stuff. This, this was some really fine fruit quality. And so I planted, I saved, I took fruit away. Of course, I cleaned the seeds and germinated them. I had been saving seeds from other places. I saved them from Buckman. I saved them from Zimmerman and some other just assortment of trees I'd found. Uh, so I had a total of about 1,500 trees. But the very best trees, you know, as I evaluated these seedlings, the very best came from the <clears throat> Landy Experimental Farm. Nice. So you were able to receive the baton. That was, you know, almost. Yeah, I think I think that's a good expression. Yeah, yeah. But they, I mean, they, we had this in. Well, we it's had really... this intervening period of time when, yeah. like, Doctor White and Doctor Zimmerman and others had been doing their work, and but they retired or died, and so from the mid fifties, there was no intervening generation. It was kind of this gap, and so my work began in the very late seven, about 78, 79. Yeah. So how providential that you were able to be there to, you know, before the, the money ran out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. The trees and, you know, uh, all the trees died. And before the trees died. Yeah. Because I mean, they have a, like all of us, they have a finite lifespan. Yeah. Especially the, the grafts. Uh, could we talk yeah. just well just briefly like just so people know pawpaws are mainly clonal so grafting onto them onto the clonal root the, the rootstock is different than an apple because like an apple can live for several hundred years the, the graft can and because it sometimes will even root but pawpaws like the scion wood doesn't root right it won't root yeah so you so eventually it'll get you know the pawpaws used yeah. to like sending up new suckers and and so on. Yeah. So yeah. So, right. If you grow a, if you have a seedling, you know that can live as a, a from suckering that may live for hundreds of years, even though the initial sprout may have died. Root suckers will have come up, and right, it's but, genetically all the same. But you can't. But you can't take a cutting off of a pawpaw tree and get the cutting to send roots. Yeah, that's it's 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 so tricky. Each each plant has its own like tricky, you know, needs. Yeah. But so so going back to the story, how many um, seedlings did you plant to get the handful of varieties that you've released? Uh, roughly a thousand five hundred. Okay, and did you do any now, like and this? Well, did, did you I do, do cross cross breed, like breeding? Like, did you have uh, multiple generations? From those initial seedlings? Well, that, 
that's that would be ideal. Um, but just to evaluate the uh, a single orchard you, uh, takes close to twenty years. Um, did I know that when I started? No. Um, <laughs> but but you wait. I did find that it took takes on average seven years uh, for seedling to mature to f- and flower. Um, and even in the first year of flowering, it might not have any fruit. The yeah, earliest that's an I- I had ideal for situation. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, it can take even the, longer. The very, yeah, the, the 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 earliest I ever saw was six years for uh, fruit. So typically, it was seven years. Some could be eight or nine years, right? So there you are. That there, there's there's just the stage one, getting them to the size that they'll flower and fruit. And then um, I, I didn't have to think very long about it. It's like, so I evaluate the trees for one year and the first year, say the first year, uh, my, I had two orchards. So the first orchard was about 900 trees. And the very first year, maybe I had 20 trees in fruit. So, you know, I naturally, I was so excited and I evaluated everything and I chose I thought, what were the best of the 20? You know, now the next year, more trees were mature. So the next year, I had probably about, say, 200 or so trees that were fruiting. So I evaluated all those. Well, of the 20 of the first year, none of those showed up as being superior in the second year. Wow. And yeah, it's like, and it was, I decided that in the interest of speed, I mean, I can't evaluate these for five years, although that might be scientifically warranted, uh, but I need to get on with it. So I said, I will evaluate all the trees for three years. So now, you know, that's, I'm already up to a 10 year period. Mm-hmm. And then I could make a pretty, a pretty conclusive evaluation of what was, you know, uh, ranked from the very highest to the very worst. Um, now, of the highest, I said, well, you know, I'm going to look at about nine or 10. I, I thought that I would do that sort of a cutoff, like about 1% of what I had of 900 trees would be nine. I think I broadened, yeah, that's what I, I chose. That was nine in the first orchard. And, but there's another step you have to go through, which is, Obviously, to propagate those, it's not like, you know, doing, say, raspberries, blackberries, where it's very easy to get root cuttings and propagate vegetatively that way. With pawpaws, we're going to be grafting onto some other, onto a pawpaw rootstock, but it's no, but it's not a special rootstock. It's just a random pawpaw seedling. So now I'm into stage two. Stage two is to say, Let's graft these multiple times and let's evaluate again because the literature on all fruit trees says that when you introduce the step of grafting, results can change. Hmm. That's interesting. It's, 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 see, it's, we, the assumption is, oh, it'll be the, the same. But then you stop and say, that's an assumption. That's not proven. And in fact, the of the nine varieties in 
Orchard Number no. One that I liked the most. It was really a fabulous flavor, at least to my palate. And it was tree number no. 254. And I propagated it 12 times. Everything was getting propagated 12 times as a test. And it was a disappointment once it was grafted. It did not show up as having the same sort of flavor. Hmm. And which to me, you know, proved like, okay, you know, I'm doing this right is because everybody, when it comes time to release a new variety, everyone's going to have the varieties are going to be grafted and you don't want to, to mislead the public or the scientific community as to the quality of what you're releasing. So this was a step that has to be gone through. And, and then now you don't have to wait seven years with a graft. You can start to get fruit on a grafted seedling in about four years. And so, but now once again, you want to, well, about two years is about all you need now, but this adds about six more years to the project. So now you're up to 16 years. And, uh, you know, and I'm doing this as I'm, this is not my uh, paid job to do this. Uh, I was fortunate to have to be working for the government uh, as an economist. And so that was a good paying job with good vacation. I had my weekends off and I was able to manage the, uh, the project on my own money with the cooperation of the University of Maryland. They provided the land and I provided the brain power and much of the manpower for the work. So, so it's already gone up from 1980, germinating my first seeds to uh, 1996, I think 98. So it's been about 18 years had passed to just get through one generation evaluation. So the breeding where you really would love to pick your parents and, and do the hand pollination and raise those seedlings, I think, practically speaking, you have to expect no less than 18 years to, you know, for a cycle. Wow. So it's going to be about 36 years to get two cycles in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, and that's a, that's a long time for a human. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I didn't. I I left that out of my story. So I'll go back to the library where I was researching what what had ever been done about pawpaws, and um, you know, and here's this journal article from 1916 with its re report in 1917, and as I read what Dr. Zimmerman published now, he was a medical doctor rather than uh, an agriculturalist, but. Uh, but quite the uh, expert uh, horticulturist, um, amateur horticulturist. So he took up pawpaw breeding when he retired from his medical profession at about age 65. And he had been dabbling in it all along, but now he was starting to, to do making hand crosses and all. And, and he died four years later. So he never got um, to see it. Yeah, he never got to see it. And it's like, and I'm reading those articles. And I think when you do tree breeding, you can't wait until you retire at age 65. That might work <laughs> with tomatoes and marigolds, but it doesn't work with tree breeding. And that was another reason that I 
heard the calling of the pawpaw tree. It's like in 1978, I'm 30 years old. I said, I'm young. I just have enough time ahead of me that I can actually do this. You know, but anyone who waits till you're 65, you know, you you kind of run out of room, not to mention, you know, flagging energies and medical issues that start to plague an older person. And I'm at that stage now in my life since I'm in my 70s. So do you have any other advice for for young folks who are really interested in propagating stuff and um, selecting plants other than start now? <laughs> well, now, I guess it, <laughs> I guess a lot of the consideration, there are general considerations and they work out differently depending on what species you're working with. Um, in working with pawpaw specifically, you, you need to start young, okay? You need to educate yourself about the principles of genetics and plant breeding. Uh, so, um, it's, so you have to be dealing in many numbers because you can't force the plant to become something. You have, your role is to be very observant and to watch for these lucky breaks as the genes resort themselves in every generation, and sometimes they're mutations as well. Um, but you can't make a mutation happen. Um, and even if it does happen, it's probably going to be damaging rather than beneficial. So if you have room in your backyard to plant 10 trees, you're, the chances statistically are too low. You're not going to find when they do apple breeding, the, you know, people at, say, Cornell University, they probably plan on making a cross between, say, Golden Delicious, Delicious and what would be another one, you know, that we like, uh, Fuji, maybe? We'll sure, just yeah. say those, for Portland. example. Yeah, right, right. So you're, you have, you, you've selected your parents, and now you're going to, uh, you're going to hand cross these things and save the seeds and germinate them and plant them, plant the little trees out. Um, well, they're figuring for like two parents, they probably want to plant 2000 trees minimum to find one thing that's good because we're talking the creme de la creme. It's not, uh, it's a rare phenomenon you're looking for. Um, you improve your chances by starting with the very best parents. It's the same thing that animal breeders do. So if they're raising racehorses, they have to start with the finest racehorses. They don't go back backwards to just pick out, you know, an ordinary horse, uh, which was why I was looking for the historic collections, because uh, I guess I'd had enough training in my classes to know you just don't walk out into the woods and use the first pawpaw you run into. To make progress, you have to start with the best that you can find. Uh, and then you also have to have limited goals in mind. Every time you add a new criteria into your objective function, by objective function, I don't mean to imply that it's strictly mathematical and some sort of an addition formula, but it's like the enumeration, like with pawpaws, what am I looking for? Well, I'm looking for a great flavor and I'm looking for very few seeds. Those are two there. Okay. 
pawpaws in the wild are notorious for having low yields. And so we want to have respectable yields. So now I've named three criteria. And, you know, if I go much, each time you add a new criteria, the rule of thumb is that you've doubled the number of seedlings you're going to have to have to find something superior. So, um, you know, if it's, if I'm going to have 900, well, so back to the apple analogy, if I'm going to have 2000 seedlings on one criteria, like maybe they're looking for disease resistance, you know, but now I add in flavor. Now I need 4,000 add in another component. Now I need 8,000. Um, Wow. Yeah. So, so breeding, breeding is not typically suited, particularly for tree breeding for the backyard. Now, if you're breeding, you know, marigolds or tomatoes, you may have enough room in a big backyard to do some serious breeding. Um, so, so how many the acres? Other thing, well, like how many acres did, uh-huh. did you use for, for a thousand trees? It was about two acres. Okay. The trees... Because I'm not doing a commercial orchard, my trees were planted three feet apart in the row. So they well, looked very crowded. Yeah, you could fit a lot in there. Yeah. But but three feet, but that's okay because I'm trying to uh, save on space and I just want to get enough fruit off of a, off of a young tree to evaluate it. I see. The, yeah. the other thing is to, as people do this, is to realize that you have to deal with representative fruit on the tree. I mean, recently I heard somebody uh, very, very excited that they had found a tree in the woods close to their house that had two monster fruit on it. Well, in the photograph, they were very long sort of skinny fruit which i know from experience means there's lots and lots of seeds in it and not a whole lot of flesh (laughs) but but they were already saying i'm going to save the seeds from these two big fruit and plant them because i'm so impressed and but but i just kind of like i would but my advice is no no hold back you know think again you are looking at the two biggest fruit on the tree but what is the average fruit like on that tree? Mm, you don't make the seed from a big fruit is no more likely to give you big, you know, a tree that with that character than the seeds from other fruit on that tree. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, so as you breed, you have to think in terms of what's average and what's representative on the tree, not what's the most spectacular. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, Neil, if you could talk a little bit about the cultural changes that you've seen um, regarding pawpaws over your 40 years plus experience with them. Well, the, the, it's, it's exciting, isn't it? Because 1980, uh, there were a few organizations that knew about them, like the Northern Nut Growers Association. Um, but, you know, it was almost like a well-kept secret, wasn't it? Now it's not. Now, starting around, I think it was 1999, might have been 98. No, it was a little earlier than that. Maybe it was 97. The Ohio Pawpaw Festival started. 
And that's been a, a lot of fun and it's certainly educated a lot of people. It's a lot more than just pawpaws, but it's, you know, it's like a good festival that draws thousands of people in September mm. near Athens, Ohio, you know, and then other festivals have sprung up, one down in North Carolina, one near York, Pennsylvania, uh, one near Frederick, Maryland. I think there's one being held this year in Missouri. Um, and uh, the, these festivals are as diverse as the people creating them. Uh, some of them, you know, really are, go way beyond just presenting pawpaws. You know, some of them, you know, have crafts and art and the sale of many different sorts of plants and t-shirts and all sorts of, you know, and they have the funnel cake and, and the, the, the food and all that. Uh, so uh, there's, you know, they don't try to fit any mold. They're as individualistic as the individuals creating them. Uh, but, you know, that's all a new phenomenon. And now on Facebook, uh, there's initially, there was one group called Pawpaw Fanatics. That's aptly named. We seem to be fanatical um, <laughs> in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a gentle in a gentle way. Uh, and, uh, well, shortly thereafter, then there was Pawpaw Fan Club. Well, that turned out to have a lot more people in Europe. The first group is largely American. And the second group, Pawpaw Fan Club, is largely European because the, the plants have discovered a following over there. Uh, then two more groups came up. Then there was Pawpaw Planet. And then there was Pawpaw, what was the last one called? Don't I remember what it's called? Pawpaw, Plant, Pawpaw Nation, I think. Uh -huh. So now we have, what, four different face group, Facebook groups about pawpaw and they are fanatical and yeah. there are people who who you know they've discovered it like ourselves and they're bowled over by the fruit and the immediate thing they want to do is start germinating seeds and growing their own trees some people are doing what is called gorilla planting where they yeah. go out into the parks and stuff and uh, and just you know without permission <laughs> just start <laughs> planting seeds out in the parks. Um, Not a little and, bit of that. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, it's all rather amazing. And then the number of nurseries that start offering them, the number of named cultivars. We're, we're in a position, a situation now that will, I think, be winnowed down in the years to come where there might be something like 30 or 40 uh, named varieties now being uh being offered for sale uh and then wow. to my thinking i don't think probably 30 pawpaw varieties are all, all equal in quality yeah. um yeah there's i think probably there's going to over the years maybe they'll be sorted out and evaluated more uh, astring uh stringently and you know and maybe be winnowed down i don't know what the number should be but i do think you know for the popularity of the pawpaw to that uh, just to offer the best, you know, in terms of uh, maybe keeping quality, eating quality, uh, if it can be used in baking, sure that um, maybe there'll be varieties that transport better than uh, currently, you know, um, it's, it's going to be, you know, something with us now for, for the foreseeable future as a component of the foods we eat 
And I'm very pleased with that. You know, it's yeah. no longer this little orphan hanging out <laughs> in the shade of big trees out in the forest, only known by the hunters for mushrooms and uh, and deer who happen upon it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's amazing. It's amazing. But I also, how, yeah. Well, how you yeah. how you've been I able also, to contribute to that? It's 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 amazing. Well, I, I, a lot of good fortune in that. I've had a lot of help uh, over the years. I could not have looked after you know a thousand uh, five hundred trees all by myself. I mentioned John Popano, the uh, when I, that was in the second orchard, about six hundred trees there. Um, I knew even with the first orchard, it's like I wasn't going to rely on my own taste buds because different people taste things differently. So I um, I had my friends come in. I was living in Washington, D.C. I would have them come to my house on Sundays and we'd you know, do this sort of tasting. Everybody have a sheet. But after even after the first week of this, I guess the second week I saw a problem. Uh, I didn't have the same people coming every week. And that throws off the meaningfulness of your data. So with the second orchard, I mean, you know, so I went ahead because that's what I had to do. But for the second orchard, which had been planted a few years later than the first, uh, I said, I'm going to have more consistency. And so there were just four of us that tasted the, the pawpaws. And five days a week, we would go, we would meet in the orchard. We would go up and down the, uh, the rows. I had my clipboard, anything that hadn't yet been sampled, you know, but it had ripe fruit. We'd put in a bag, we'd mark the bag that would go down to the, uh, to the laboratory and everything would be stored on shelves because we would pick slightly under ripe from the trees. Um, and that you know, give them about two days to finish ripening, and then we then we had all the bags that were waiting from a forest from the time before, and there were sometimes at the height of the season, we were there for like eight hours, tasting pawpaws, and you don't swallow, it's you just you just sample in your mouth, and then you spit out and clean your mouth with some water and some saltine crackers and go on to the next. Well, of course, you get your Tongue gets kind of fatigued doing this, but that's what we would do day after day. And John was part of the, the crew, and he was wonderful. Uh, he, he, he's one of these people who has to have at least one pawpaw per day. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, he showed me a method for raising pawpaw seedlings that I have to admit, I think is one of the coolest and easiest ways to do it that I've seen. He with all his kitchen scraps, it went into a compost pile. And the following year, long about July, because pawpaws are slow to come up, but at any rate, they would come up in the compost pile. And you just wait a while and they would be growing vigorously and luxuriantly, but you could just lift those root systems out of the compost because you know how leaf compost is. It just kind of falls apart. And th that was a beautiful way to start a pawpaw seedling. You know, then you'd have to move it into its either its pot or preferably its permanent spot. Mm -hmm. um, That's a great tip. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is great. And it's, it's a volunteer. So it really wants to live. <laughs> it wants to live. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the hour is almost up and I have one okay. last question for you. Um, okay. You, you named your varieties after rivers, which we love. And I was just wondering how you came up with that or, or what was the inspiration? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there is always that issue of like names and I, um, I liked, I thought, you know, this is a native plant here in the Eastern U S from the great, it's, it's there from the Eastern Kansas, the great plains, right all the way across to the Atlantic ocean. And it what being native, it just struck me and they love to, to grow near rivers and creeks. I just thought, it makes yeah. sense that mm-hmm. to to use the in the Indian names of rivers in the U.S. to and attach those to the plant. It has a little drawback in that sometimes people think the that particular pawpaw came from along the river, like Susquehanna, uh, and and it didn't. Uh, but other than that, it's a way to honor uh, its position here in the native. Uh, diet of uh, our indigenous Americans and uh, and mm. also their fondness for water. That's love, amazing. Love that. I get, is maybe just one more question. <laughs> Are, do you have any other selections coming out in the future? Well, I, I'm, I am doing uh, crossbreeding uh, that I started years ago and it's slow work and because i can't make it <laughs> i just have to grow as many as i can afford to and keep a watchful eye on uh their qualities i hope to have some to release right now as of today i don't have any good enough to release but uh, i see this work continuing for uh you know the next five or ten years maybe in that period of time i'll have something more to release Okay. Uh, seven. I'm not even confident that all seven of what I've named and released are, you know, top notch, but that'll be sorted out by other people like yourselves. Hmm. Well, it's, it's been an amazing contribution to, to a wonderful plant. And I, I really, I'm really grateful for the work that you've done. And, uh, I hope that all of our yeah. listeners will go out there and find some pawpaws and, and, and enjoy, the the beautiful amazing taste mm-hmm. that that has drawn us to to this amazing flat, uh, mm-hmm. fruit. I, I agree i agree so much yeah this has been such a great conversation neil and it's an honor talking with you so um maybe you thank can... you for the opportunity absolutely and um tell our listeners how they can reach you and where to find you uh okay i do have a website uh it's peterson pawpaws dot com fabulous and peter peterson is s-o-n but i think google would correct you even if you misspelled it yeah yeah i have the uh this week or next week the new updated version of the website will be coming out exciting okay great well thank you look at it yeah thank you again neil this this has been amazing (laughs) yeah well eat, eat more pawpaws (laughs) <laughs> okay. Moral okay. of the story. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Fabulous. Okay. All right. Bye. Cheers. Thank Thanks, you. Bye bye. Bye bye.